Hello, 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 everybody. I am Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And this is Gritty Reboot, the grittiest goddamn show about reboots there has ever been. Do you think our intro song is gritty? No, no. I picked it because it reminded me of the original intro to Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Oh. Which is what we used for one week before I read about copyright infringement <laughs> and decided I, I don't want to do that. Because that, that's always... I've always loved that that theme, and that's not the... Now, you don't know that theme at all, because that was not on The Tonight Show. That was on his late show, after The Tonight Show. So, and he didn't carry it with him. NBC kept the song, so he didn't get to take it with him to TBS, where you saw him. So that song means nothing to you, but that's what... It, this kind of reminds me of. That's what I was looking for. Hmm. Something that reminded me of that that big band kind of feel of like... Well, you know the Max Weinberg 7. Yeah. The, well, you don't know the Max Weinberg 7. They were only with NBC. You didn't watch them then. But you, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but the band, though. Yeah, it's, it's the same concept. That kind of brass sound. And they always did a great job playing them in. I always loved that uh, loved that intro. And that's, that's what I went for with it. So it's not very gritty, but that, that was the idea. And, I, and we haven't changed it. Well, we, we've I threw in a friend song a little bit ago, and I was going to do it again for the Westerns, and I, I forgot about it. It's fine. I like the theme song. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like it, too. It was free. It was on YouTube. So. It just came to me when it was playing. I was like, this isn't really... Yeah, I, I never really thought about anything else, you know, because the, the outro song, I'm mean, very few people ever get to, according to our numbers. You ever get to the outro song, thank you, and please rate us five stars. But that used to be the intro song. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for about two or three weeks at the very beginning of the show, maybe like episode seven through ten, maybe another episode, we did a heavy metal version of the soundtrack to Fester's Quest from the NES. Mm-hmm. And we did that for a couple weeks before I settled on this song. And we've pretty much settled on, except for the two times we played, the couple times we've done a special theme for a show. Yeah. Like last last week, or two weeks ago, we did the, the Warm Side of the Door. Yeah. And, you know, so we often play that. And I, I was going to play uh, one of the songs from this soundtrack, but I realized nobody would probably know what it was. Hmm. Uh, like right now, you're hearing it underneath me. We're not playing it here in the room now, guys, inside baseball. But this is Bush's mouth. And we're talking about American Werewolf, the American Werewolf series. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of a strange one because it's really just the two movies. Yeah. And this is technically a sequel. It was developed as a sequel. It was going to be made as a sequel. But I think you and I as reboot experts can declare this an official reboot. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's a reboot. Because there's only one very loose connection to the original film. Yeah. And that's that... Um, they tourists. Well, um, what's her face? Sabine? The the Julie Delpy? Mm-hmm. It's implied that she is the daughter of the characters from the first movie. Seraphine. Seraphine, pardon me. Um, uh, Sabine is... Uh, Seraphine... Sabine is a, a Russian name. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I had a friend named Sabine. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Good to know. Good to know. Now I know Sabine is a Russian thing. I'll, I'll, I'll remember that always and cherish it deeply. With it. Mm. But yeah, that's about the only real connection. And it's only loosely implied that that is the case. So with that being said, it is not exactly uh, a real canonical sequel. So we, we declare this pretty much a reboot. Because like I said, all new characters. Yeah. And you're only having some of the core concepts from the first film carry over, which would make it a fucking reboot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost a definitional one. So, you know, with that. Um, and also, I, I guess the next question people would ask is, usually we go in chronological order. Mm-hmm. Now, we did not do that for Wyatt Earp, and we're not doing it for this movie for the same very reason. And that is the simple fact that I don't like this movie, and I don't think you would ever see it. No. Right. 
And I wanted to give it a fair shake to say, like, maybe this film got too much hate in its time and maybe there's more to it than there was. And let me see this film fresh without comparing it to the the original, which I consider to be very close to a masterpiece. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And we went to refresh eyes objectively, and this thing stinks. <laughs> this this movie absolutely sucks. Mm-hmm. And it has a few nice moments. I will say that it's not complete and utter garbage. It's not the worst movie we've ever done. But <laughs> it, it it's close. <laughs> it's close. Well, we'll find out later that I managed to find a ten star review of this movie. I'm sure there has to be someone who loves it because yeah. I will say one thing: this thing lived on cable. For from like 2000 to like I don't know 2005, you could find this thing on Sci-Fi Channel. I just always heard it sucked, so I never watched. It. Yeah, so if you were like 11 during that time and liked horror movies, you probably saw this thing a lot. So that's the one thing I will say: there are probably a lot of people that have good nostalgia for it, and they maybe own the soundtrack on CD, or maybe they downloaded it from Napster. Yeah. To be more or Kazaa, they destroyed their entire computer just to download uh, this film. On his first trip to Paris, Andy McDermott is looking for a little danger. Andy, what are you doing? I'll show you guys a stunt you'll never top. But tonight... Andy, this is madness. You're gonna get yourself killed. There's nothing more dangerous than falling for the wrong girl. No, don't! Alright, so how do we start here, Meredith? Before we do anything, we're doing anything. let's go over our Facebooks and our, you know, YouTubes. And you're, you're very right. You're very What's right. That, whatever. Thank that you for. Is. Yeah. So if you're going to if you're looking for us on Friendster, <laughs> you're going to. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, probably the, the best way to do it would be email. Yeah. And that's a gritty reboot cast at gmail.com. And that'll get an answer pretty much within the same day because we, we don't get emails there very often unless they're ad stuff. So. Uh, that's a pretty good way to, if if you're not down with email at all, like if you're under 25 years old, and if you're under 25, how do you even find us? Mm-hmm. But if you are, uh, the best way to get hold of us would be at Gritty Reboot, and that's at Instagram and at TikTok. Just type in Gritty Reboot, and you'll find us, and you can send us a DM, and we will answer. We've taken requests that way. We've answered questions on the show before from that. So it, it is uh, it, it is probably the best way to get a hold of us. So Very good. You can also find me at Lucius13 on X. I rarely post, but occasionally I do, so you might find me there. And uh, Meredith, what are your socials? I don't have any. Yeah, but that's right. Fuck social media. Except Facebook. Nobody wants your Facebook. Yeah, nobody wants that. No. I don't even want it. No, nobody does. Well, we start this fine film with some angsty tunes and shots of old buildings and churches. Yeah, so I think this intro is actually fairly well done. Like, it doesn't signal doom from the start. Yeah, it doesn't signal doom immediately. So I will say that. It does set up a general mystery. And even if it isn't fantastic, it, it does set some things up that could be intriguing. I see there is a look on my wife's face that says she can't understand what's in her notes. A man is running for his life against an orchestra. Yes, yes. he's This orchestra is playing so loud, the force of the music is pushing him back and yeah. he's running against the music. No, it, it's cross-cutting back and forth this orchestra inside the the you know the hall playing for some reason. And I think it's, a, it's well put together if it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense. He gets tripped up by the sewer, sewage grate. And something in the sewer causes him to uh, grab his leg and he pulls away from it and something's still at him and he's still crawling to get away and the creature gets him, basically. Yeah, so yeah, he's basically trying to get away from something. We're not allowed to see it, obviously, even though the title does give away what it is. 
But I do like that somebody tries to help him and when they get close, they immediately freak out and run away. Yeah. And he is dragged underneath. We, we assume to his death. And then we land with three guys on a train and they're in France and they're drinking wine and they having a good old time. They are broing it up. Yeah. I'll have you know right now. And that is pretty much the vibe of the dialogue in this film, which is pure like late 90s, early O's bro talk. Yeah, and there's even butt rock to uh, match it. There very much is. There is a soundtrack of the time. And, you know, this is my era, to be honest. This is, like, right when I'm a teenager, right? I'm in high school when this movie comes out. I remember going to see this in the theater. And I know we usually talk about it, but, I mean, I just remember seeing it in the theater and it it existed. (laughs) Like, I have no fond memory, negative or positive. Like, myself and my sister's ex-boyfriend just wasted an afternoon on this movie. That's all I remember. And that was the only time I ever really watched it besides you know, waiting for something else to ever appear on Sci-Fi Channel or something like that. That was That's it. So even, like I said, with having nostalgia for music of that era, the soundtrack is fine. It's terrible. It's, it's fine it's at like best. It's like they picked the worst song yeah, there's of a, that era. there are a couple decent songs. I actually did listen to the soundtrack playlist on Spotify in my car while I was driving around earlier. And I like the Bush song that I played for you guys earlier, but that's not an original song. That's a remix of a song that was already on their album, Razorblade suitcase. So it wasn't anything particularly special, but people have fond memories of this soundtrack. I think it's always ruined by Smash Mouth, but we'll talk about Smash Mouth when we get there. <laughs> These same three guys that are hamming it up, they decide they want to sneak onto the Eiffel Tower. It's nighttime, all the guards are gone. Mm-hmm. So they start climbing the tower. And there's like. Ten minutes of fucking shot. Yeah, they, of them they, climbing this they, goddamn tower. They build to the and listen. The way they build to this, I think, is actually all right because it makes it feel like something. Because the way it's shot and the way he's prepping as they're sitting down and kind of goofing off, and I, I guess they're gonna watch the stars in Paris on the Eiffel Tower. I mean, yeah. whatever. I mean, that, that's fine. I guess it's neat to sleep outside. But <laughs> like the way that's done, it, it gives the movie like like some order. I, I think it, it gives it like a place that it's going, which is something that I really appreciate. And I'm like, okay, what's this stunt going to be? What's it going to look like? How's it going to go? And we never really get to it, sadly. We, we get a, a different version of it. Yeah. So what occurred, and by the way, real quick, I do want to mention one thing about the train, is that we are introduced to all three of these insufferable pricks. And that's pretty much all that we get about these guys. And so that's why I like this second scene so much, because it shows me that Andy is a smart and determined character, and that he has a drive for something, which is to outdo his friends on this stunt. Mm-hmm. even if this dialogue is just cringy to get there. Yeah, because they're like wanting him not to go. And I have to mention it right now, while, while we get out the gate, is this movie has just a momentum stopper in the form of Tom Everett Scott. Anytime this movie might try to pick up any kind of momentum, he is right there to be like, no, nah, no, nah, slow your roll, homie. Let's slow this movie down. Because Tom Everett Scott is just terrible as a leading man. He is neither charismatic nor charming enough to lead a movie. I think it's a supporting actor. He's fine. And listen, I, I like his work in That Thing You Do, which is another movie made around this era, a film directed by Tom Hanks, a film I really like. And uh, his supporting work on shows like Southland about 10 years later. But I mean, he's just awful here. I mean, he never resonates with this material. He never should have been cast as this lead character at all. I mean, I, it's weird to say, but like he struggles with the role Freddie Prince Jr. would nail in his sleep. Yeah. And I, like there's no other way to put it. And I, I feel like that's the burn of burns on him, especially from the era that he's from. But he's just terrible in this film. You can't connect with him. I feel like all of his line deliveries are cringy and wrong. And this is the only time in the film when he's about to jump that I think this movie might go somewhere. And it does not from this point. 
I think everybody sucks except for Julie. Julie Delpy. Delpy. Julie yeah, Delpy. Julie Delpy is the only like bright spot in this movie. I think the bad guy isn't so bad. Is his name Claw? It is, isn't it? I don't know. I, I think would have written that down. Yeah, I, I think his name. I remember when I was looking this up earlier, and I was like, "Wait, did they just name the bad guy Claw?" Well, there's two guys that want to drink wine, and like you said, there's another guy who's the lead who wants to jump off the uh, Eiffel Tower and bungee jump, and it looks like he's gonna do it, but someone is coming. That and, scares him off. Yeah. yeah, it scares him off. They they run and hide in a corner, and it turns out it's Julie Delpy, and she's trying to throw herself off the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it's very clear that she's committing suicide, and the guys don't really understand why. Andy approaches her, trying to convince her not to do as such, but she is undeterred. Yeah. So he jumps after her, mm -hmm. and he he's okay, right? Because he's attached his bungee fucking cord. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah, he's great. <laughs> okay, so... Fucking idiot. He jumps off without having to... And you would think if you like want to save someone's life, you're like, oh shit, I can't do that. I don't have my bungee cord attached. I'm going to die. Yeah. Like, if... <laughs> it's like if a building was on fire... I wouldn't run in there without a hose or a fire extinguisher and get in there and be like, oh, shit, I forgot my fire extinguisher. <laughs> oh, someone, oh, my fire one while I'm in there. Like, <laughs> you know, like, that's his logic. Like, oh, well, I hope this all works out. Yeah. Because his buddies realize that at the last second and, like, grab the rope and stop him from going over. To which I wanted to reach out to somebody to see if two humans would have the power to pull somebody back. At that point. Think about the weight of yeah, that. You yeah. got the weight of gravity. Yeah, exactly. you down. Yeah. The man's weight. Like, you would have to be seriously strong. Not to mention have gloves on because you know some of that slack's going to, you know. Yeah, I would assume they rip would just up your shred hands. your hands. But this is a movie where people don't really suffer any serious injuries unless it's werewolf related. Yeah. Because he goes down there. And he dives for in what should be a thrilling sequence, but only is just comically laughable. Yeah, he grabs her leg. He grabs her ankle and slows her down just enough to gently lay her upon yeah. the ground. So stupid. And then he springs back up into the air, holding her shoe, and he just clang, hits right against the Eiffel Tower full speed, right? Yep. Credits roll, he's dead. That's yep. the end of the movie. We thought, think he's dead. So this is like a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. Because we come in the next thing, he just has a bandage around his head, right? Yeah. He's like, oh, my head. I'm like, motherfucker, you are dead. Your skull has been cracked in and your brains are on the bottom floor of the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Like, there is no way that is not a fatal injury. So this is one of those movies you can truly believe that he is dead the entire time. And this is all just a dream of his brains falling down to the bottom of the Eiffel mm -hmm. Tower. That's, that's the way I'm going to look at the rest of this film. Well, he's in the hospital and... Which is a strange sequence. Yeah. Like, this hospital is lit, oddly. Like, the windows dream are frost-light. Yeah, you, you would think it's a dream scene. Yeah. Like, as I was watching the, a bit of the trailer earlier as I was clipping it, I was like, yeah, it does look like a dream scene. And it's played like a dream sequence. Because the way he acts and the way Julie Delphi she's, moves, like, really slow motion. Yeah, everything about this, I was waiting for, like, the scare. And it's just a real scene. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, he he spots the woman that saved, he saved. and um, He's able to run around the hospital. All the bandages is the only issue, you know. He, he gets hit in the head again. He sees that she's got something in her hand. He gets hit in the head again. Yeah, kind of is. I mean, it kind of is, but like no yeah. one cares at this moment in, in Juncture. That Nobody cares anything. That she's it. walking around with a clear bloody sack. Yeah. No one, and no one in the world of this film says, hmm, that seems strange. And the guy that bumps into him is like, I'm missing two hearts. Yeah. Yeah. So we know Julie Delpy's this just. This is a script um, written by a child. Yeah. Is what this, it's written by a horny child. Well, she vanishes and that's the end of that. 
Yeah. So in between this, before the sequence occurs, he has to know more about this woman. And so he tells his friends to go find a letter, right? To go find her suicide note that she had in her hand. Mm Mm-hmm. First of all, do we see the suicide note come out? No. We, we don't. We, I didn't even like, know there was a note. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, how are these guys supposed to find a suicide letter in a language they don't speak, in a place where they're not sure it actually is, when they can't tell, what, when they don't know what her name is, so if it's signed, they don't know who it is. Despite all of these circumstances working against them, they find it. Yeah. Whereas he is hit by the doctor in the head again, and Julie Delpy escapes, they hit him with the note. So, And apparently this note had her address on it? Because the next scene is them at her house, right? Yeah, and he's at her house with a shoe, like she's Cinderella. With a shoe and a do-rag, right? Yeah. So he can't have the bandages on his head anymore, because that would be silly, correct? But they're like, he's got to have something on his head. He can't just be, he just can't be hatless anymore. That's not a thing. So they put this fucking do-rag on him or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> he's wearing a bandana on his head. I'm like, I'm like what the fuck will you just wander out of? <laughs> so they, they go to meet Shelfie. And Seraphine. Seraphine. They go to meet Julie Delpy. And it doesn't go well for me, the viewer. Well <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. This is a stupid, stupid scene. They're just it's, vomiting dialogue at each really other. It's really weird that somebody would just show up at your house with a shoe. Yes, it is. I don't care what Hollywood movies tell yeah. you. Do not show up at someone's house no. with a shoe unless you're a shoe salesman. Yeah. And even, and even then, then, what are you doing as a door-to-door <laughs> shoe salesman in 2023? You archaic fuck. 2024. 2024. Ah! Yep. You gotta get used to it. Yeah, hit me. Hit me hard. Mm. But he's being very pushy, and he wants to know why she has blood on her hands, and he continues to be pushy, and he puts his feet in the door, and he's like, just whatever. And she basically finally just lets him in. Yeah, yeah. I don't really understand his logic, but this is a lot of like romantic gestures and like movies in this era. Yeah. Is you just act like a fucking asshole until someone just relents and lets you be romantic, I suppose. And that's what happens here. Yeah, he he uh, asks her to go to a cafe and she's finally relents and tells him. Yeah, why she would agree to this, I have no idea why she would go out with this crazy person other than the story really needing it. He's acting like a complete asshole. Yeah, and he's flanked by his two buddies who don't have enough sense to say like, hey, maybe you should chill, homie. Yeah, because there's just this weird scene where he chews on a condom. Well, yeah, that's that's, it's gum. that's coming up. And I know people, I know some people think that scene is really funny. And I can see how it could be funny. I can. But I, I just don't think that Mr. Everett Scott has the chops to play it the proper way. And it just doesn't really work. I know we're a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah, they're, they're at the cafe. They're the having... Cafe. It's not really important. They just, yeah. they stop, she goes to dinner with him for some reason. And they go there, and he acts like a complete fucking douchebag. Yeah, like he's just there to sleep with her, and she's like, what's you doing? And then he spills out his stash of condoms. Yeah, so the guys gave him, like, condoms. And that's cause, when he... Because he was going to need 15 for this night, because he likes to triple bag it. That's yeah. just the way he is. So stupid. And so he pulls out this condom. And then probably, like, the best bit of comedy in the film, when I say best, and you can't see me, but I'm doing hand quotes, is... He's like, no, 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 this is chewing gum in America. So he opens up a condom, throws his mouth and chews on it. And this in itself isn't a bad idea for a joke. It's not. Its execution is where it really falls flat, I think. Because it just it goes on just a little too long and doesn't go on long enough to get funny again. She asked, it's just in the right point to be cringy. She asked him to blow a bubble. 
Yeah. And he blows a ball. Yeah, he he blows the condom. But the, the condom just flies out of his mouth, right? When he like it does. He, he kind of it deflates a little bit then goes. And then it flies all the way around the cafe yeah. and lands in somebody's soup. It needed Austin Powers get like enormous in his mouth and then fly off. It's a like, really clunky scene. That that should have been the joke. And yes, the, the scene is not shot very well at all. It's edited really poorly cuz once this guy gets up and a little bit of action is introduced in the scene, I mean, and by that I mean characters just aren't sitting down on the ground. I mean, sitting down on, on in chairs, this scene becomes something like out of a bad TV movie or out of a cheap episode of Goosebumps, because there is this scene where this patron at the restaurant is upset that the condom hit him. He threatens Andy, and Julie Delpy engages him in the least convincing form of combat I've ever seen. Yeah. She just kind of Grab lunges him. at him a little bit, yeah. and he f- throws himself backwards like a stuntman, which he is, into these shelves to show her strength i guess yeah she shows her strength but it's all real phony yeah i mean it couldn't look any worse like i said i mean this feels like the effects level of like a a 90s fox kids tv show it really does and then there's this whole scene where they're like will they or won't they kiss who gives (laughs) a shit yeah i was like this isn't really one of those kind of relationship movies where that kind of matters at this point yeah And and it really doesn't but the movie the movie really believes that it does, which is strange to me. Yeah. Like, they think they've done that that work when there's really no chemistry or romance here to speak of. You know, is this a comedy? Is this a real thing? I don't know. But the movie wants to have its cake and eat it, too. But the thing is, ain't nobody eating this thing. The other two guys go to the house to meet his friend, and that's when they meet the guy that looks after Seraphin. And then they- Yeah, they, that, that's Claude. Yeah. That's Claude. That's her. And, and so, Claude is a... Uh, well, he's a character, all right. And by that, I mean he simply is a character in the movie. I don't know anything about Claude. He doesn't other than, show up. Yeah. He, other than, he barely shows up. He doesn't, other than he likes to be a werewolf, I don't know anything else about him. Yeah. Cause, and he likes the taste of Americans. That's, these are the only two character traits I know about this guy. And apparently he has no problem ignoring ghosts. Chris, one of the guys we're talking about, one of the, I guess, are they teens or early 20s? Yeah, I think they're supposed to be like early, college, college, um, yeah. college age, so probably 20 Early 20s, late late teens. Well, Chris goes to Seraphine's house and he finds her locked in a cage, like, under the house. As one does. She eventually asks him for the key to let her out because she, I think she hears something on the radio. Fuck if I know. I, I, this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, the whole idea is that, like, she's kind of going to shield herself. But then it's discovered that Claude invited those guys to the party. So she has to go and save them. Yeah, she knocks Chris out and locks him in the cage. And then she goes to find where Andy is. And Andy gets rescued by Seraphine, but leaves Brad behind. So they're at this weird club. They're trying to see if they can. And you know what? I don't even remember what they were trying to see. I'm trying to remember what the, the point. I think it's just it's supposed to be booze. Because I remember, I remember the bouncer on the outside. And then the two guys go inside. But they're looking for, I think they might be looking for Seraphine. I can't remember. Yeah, because I think that's what it was. Claude came and got them and said, that's what, Seraphine is at the party. And yeah. that, that's what, Jake? Who's the other guy? Who's in the basement? There's Chris and there's Brad. Chris. Br- Brad's the one who ends up. Brad is left behind. He's killed first. Okay. Okay. That's what I want you to go. Okay. So yeah, he's the one that tells Seraphine that, that they're there and they think that she's there. Yeah. And so Andy will have plot armor on while trying to search for Seraphine because he's able to avoid any of the bad things that occur. And we discover that Claude and his group of henchmen, who apparently are also down with becoming werewolves and killing people and being haunted by their spirits. 
just just to eat. I guess I don't. There's no benefit to being a werewolf in this lore. I just want that to be said. There is no benefit. Like you don't. Like you're it's not strong curse. and powerful. It is a curse. You don't remember anything about that part. I just want to state that right now because they seem to love it. So they enact their plan and they start slaughtering everybody in there. Meanwhile, Chris takes off all his clothes so he can get the key to the cell. Yes. This is weird parallel action because, like, we have everybody here and he's just milking time to get out mm-hmm. of this cage, which is ultimately unimportant. But he has to see that the other individual in the house is a werewolf. It's not really important, but that's the whole point of that scene, right? Yeah. Is that he eventually goes, oh, I got a little over here. That's the, the whole point of why we do this whole bit with him. So, yes, he th- takes off all of his clothes and... He uses his Great Dane penis to knock off the, the key off the ledge. Oh, right. Wrong movie. Wrong yeah, movie. I was going to say wrong that's strange. That's strange. I, I really, I, that was a stupid joke, but I liked it as stupid as it was. Yeah. I like that joke better than anything in this movie. And I didn't even like that movie. Seraphine starts to turn into a werewolf and the effects look terrible. They do. And I, okay, so this is not just the effects because Andy is like, Seraphine, I was looking for you. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> like, he is just, like, unnaturally cheery for this scene. And she's just like, you need to go away. And she's slowly, like, transforming. He's like, can I get a kiss? And she kisses in mid-wolf form. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? She should have smacked him and said, get out of here, you stupid son of a bitch. But she doesn't. She goes through this weird scene, which I think is supposed to be funny. But it just ends off coming off strange and cringy once again. They have a kiss and he runs off into there kind of thinking something might be wrong mm-hmm. because as he goes, he's like, are you mad at me? It's like, she's turned into a beast. What the fuck yeah. do you think, dumbass? But apparently he can't see that for some reason. He can't tell that she's becoming some kind of monster. Yeah, they're in like a sewage area and she tells him to get the fuck away from me. Yeah, yeah. So he he's heads like deep an in idiot. the sewage. Yeah. Ooh. Chris, he gets out of the cell. And I don't know if you remember, there's a heart monitor in this cell area. There is, yes. So we have that punctuating. I mean, it's basically the score of this scene that, mm-hmm. or, you know, so you know, I can't he make goes sense. goes towards that sound and he discovers a werewolf strapped to the bed, slowly coming towards him. But now, the werewolf away. doesn't have any legs and is strapped to the bed. Yeah. And this is, by the way, this isn't bad. It's a nice scare. There's nothing wrong with it. Functionally, it's fine. Even his escape, which I, I like him climbing the door and just jumping over there. I was like, well, you got the one advantage over a wolf with no legs. He takes it. And so th- this is fairly well played. It's not groundbreaking, but it doesn't suck. So yeah. that's about the best I can say about the movie. The first time I saw it, I, I certainly didn't expect to see a legless werewolf behind there. So it, it was a pretty nice scare. I will say that. Brad continues to look for Andy, but runs into a werewolf and he gets killed. Yeah, he's demolished. He's destroyed by Claude. I, I, well, it doesn't really say who the werewolf is. It doesn't matter. Andy eventually runs into a werewolf. We don't know if it's his lo- lady love. We don't know if it's... Something in some- They're all just lady loves. <laughs> They're all lady loves. <laughs> like that term. Yeah. All right. No, hey, it's fine by me, but that's okay. Uh, Andy runs into a werewolf, which chases him. He gets bit by one on the foot trying to escape. Well, well, before, more like the ankle. In the middle of the escape, which is not played very well at all because he bumbles his way through it again. But he's able to get an iron rod up and stab the wolf yeah. through it, and which leaves uh, a mark on the wolf. This will be important at the very end of the movie because the screenwriter is a moron. Yeah. But I just want to mention it is clearly shown that he does this. The movie draws attention to it. 
So you see it and you know it. And even though they will, they they, they will show this clip back again at the end. <laughs> no faith in this audience. And then once fine. once you get bit by a werewolf, apparently you just pass right out because the next scene is just him waking up in a bed. Yeah, he's in Seraphine's bedroom for some reason. She found him and dragged him over there. She gets to making breakfast, which is blended heart smoothies. Now, this will confirm that these wolves in this film, much like the original, do not have any memory of what they do while they're in the wolf form. Because she herself doesn't know that she didn't bite him. Spoiler. That she didn't bite him. Yeah. She doesn't know that. She thinks she did, though. I know, spoiler, guys. Sorry. I, I gave away the end of the movie. Oh, fuck me. But no, yeah, she, she, she doesn't realize that. He spots his friend outside who is urging him to get out of that fucking house. And then there's this really weird scene. <laughs> I mean, like... Why? Seraphine tr- brings him the smoothie and she takes off her top. Okay. And then first off, she, she hands him the smoothie and she puts it like two inches from his face. And he goes, what's that? And I'm like, motherfucker, you can't smell the blood and viscera inside that heart. cup. Yeah, exactly. Like I was just thinking that the, the other day when I cut my leg on um, when we were doing the lights and I could immediately I smelt that metallic scent of blood. And I was like, oh, shit, did I cut myself. And I was like, are you telling me this guy with that thing to its front of his face was like, seems like you're carrying a glass full of blood and guts for me to drink. Yeah. But, you know, this isn't the kind of movie where there is that kind of logic. But, yeah, she presents him with this. And then to calm him down, she immediately takes off her shirt and puts his hand on her breast. But wait, that's not real? It's a hallucination? (laughs) But wait. It is real. So, yes, it, I went to this right now. In the original film, they do a very iconic dream within a dream sequence. And it's it's a cool scene. I really like that in the original film. I, I think it's quite shocking, especially the very first time I saw it. This movie attempts to do the same thing here, where he has her hands on her breasts, and then she comes in and starts the scene again midway through the scene in like a jump cut. <clears throat> and then she takes off her shirt to reveal she's a wolf underneath. And jump cut! We're, we're back to where we were originally. Where Seraphine is. And she's saying that, Oh, you're having hallucinations. Yeah, because you're a werewolf. Which begins the craziness right there. <laughs> and then we hear Seraphine's dead mother talk. We don't know she's dead. We don't know she's we dead. We don't know she's dead. Spoiler. <laughs> well, actually, I think they do say. They do. Yeah, she yeah, did. She she did. did. Yeah, because that's what I'm saying. It. That's the guy that's going to come up in one minute. Is She had said earlier that her parents were dead. And she immediately covers uh, Andy's face to not show him her mother. And as he's trying to... I guess, smooth over the situation, it dawns on Andy that she said her mother was dead. He sees the reflection where she is a rotting corpse. Yeah. And he ends up jumping out the window. Yeah, he is so terrified by the situation, he jumps out the window. Once again, unless it's a werewolf attack, no one takes any injuries. He's not cut. He's not injured in any way, shape, or form, even though he just was really fucked up. And he just gets the hell out of there. And then we get a scene where the police are pulling... His friend out of the canal, and Andy witnesses it. Yeah, the police in this movie Brad. are worthless. Yeah, it's just it's just something to kill time. That's and then it. we That's have all they do. We have a scene where Andy's werewolf senses are running rampant. Yeah, he's slowly turning into a wolf, and he's got some shit. And now, once again, I don't want to compare it to the original movie. I, I think his the way those wolf qualities came at him were a lot more organic. This is about as low rent as cheesy as could possibly be. Mm-hmm. The only thing that doesn't kill it is it's not doesn't have Smash Mouth underneath the scene. He goes to a restaurant and sees Pretty Girl, and he starts crawling on the ground. He sniffs up the girl's skirt. So, yeah, this is Julie Bowen, by the way. to dinner. This is Julie Bowen, by the way, from Modern Family fame and Happy Gilmore. She's been in a bunch of stuff. She's a fantastic actress, and she is one of the best performances in the film. 
she probably has the only things that made me smile and, and chuckle a little bit in the movie. I did get one laugh in the movie, and I'll try to remember when it comes up. Yes, he acts like a psychopath. He's in this restaurant. He demands bloodier and rarer steak each time. And he goes over to her with, like, shit all over his face from where he's been just putting his face into the steak. Sniffs up her leg, head under the skirt, and she is charmed by this. I know, it's so fucking crazy. And here's the thing. I think another actor could have pulled off what was trying to happen here, but Tom Everett Scott just completely flops it. Anything that could show the charisma to go beyond like what's just happening in that scene is just completely missing. The scene just kind of happens, and it exists, and we move on to another scene where he continues to act like a crazy person, because I guess she's a crazy person. And he starts freaking out and seeing his dead friend, who tries to warn him about being a werewolf. He gets away and leaves the restaurant with the bimbo. They start wildly making out. Wildly. (laughs) And then he starts turning while inside her yeah 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 he's he, like she's like you're hot you're really hot i, I guess that's part of it i suppose yeah Th- this is a thing that occurs uh <laughs> so yeah yeah it, it really is it really is and listen we, we are flying through this movie we've missed a couple things but we'll talk about it here let's talk about cg wolves yeah because tom Everett scott is gonna have like this kind of weird red skin effect that's all practical and he jumps into the water and when he comes out he is the CG wolf. And we didn't talk about it in the sewer scene, but we get the transformation scene there where we see them become a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And well, there's no real way to put it. It's late 90s CG and it has not aged very well. And it wasn't very well done in 1997. Like it got bad. It got bad marks in 1997. And for good reason, it looks terrible. It absolutely does. It looks like, bad. Yeah. It, it, I mean, you're talking about this is the PlayStation one is what's out right now as a video game console. Like, the N64 has been on the market for a year. So this is like a PS2-level character running around this scene. And at times, he doesn't throw shadows. He's untextured. So, (laughs) like, he very much looks rough. And it doesn't really help any of these scenes. Mm -mm. Especially even later on when they use the practical. The practical looks so much better than the CG that it it doesn't work at all. Like, they're two different planets. Yeah. It's not like Jurassic Park where the practical blends in almost seamlessly. It just, it's not like that at all. Yeah, it's really bad. It's yeah, so it, 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 abs- it absolutely is. It needs to be called out. Like I said, I do want to mention, living in that era, the movie did not get good marks for CG back then. People thought this wasn't very good. It's not quite the step down that you get with, like, King Kong, where you go from Ray Harryhausen's brilliant stop motion effects to just a motherfucker in a suit in 1975. It's not quite that bad because, you know, CG was in its infancy and they were trying something. And they're certainly able to get the wolf to move around a lot more than, than what was possible in the 70s. But it never looks good. It, it looks horrible almost all the time. Should we pull an Ebert and Roper and just like bash all the all the producers? And <laughs> well, you know, they, they, they just got it. They got ahead of themselves on what they could do with CG. You know, they should have mixed a little bit more practical in and they. They thought they could really do this all in CG, and it it just doesn't work. Yeah. But yeah, he comes out of there, and he slaughters her. And he turns into a werewolf, and he starts chasing after the bimbo. She sprays perfume everywhere to get him off her scent, but she fails. And after being distracted by a policeman. Of uh, Tobias and Arrested Development spraying the perfume to cloak himself in the blind lady's scent. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, wouldn't he be able to smell the big pockets of perfume that you're spraying everywhere? Yeah. Wouldn't that trail lead him to you? I was like, I played video games before. I know how that works. And he ends up waking up next to a dead corpse of a dog, and he's promptly arrested. 
Yeah, and he's like, what am I getting arrested for? And the only like chuckle I had in the movie, when a medical examiner picks up the dog that's been eaten out, completely hollow, the detective looks at him and goes, the possibilities are limitless. And I, that's literally the only thing in the movie that was like, ah! Which is, it was a good gag. Yeah. <laughs> the, few t- the only time I experienced human joy in this runtime. And then we have the, the dead bimbo and Andy's dead friend fight, apparently. So th- this it's is... bad. Yeah. Really, really bad. Yeah. Listen, Ju- Julie Bowen is good, and I think she has a few nice bits here. But th- this scene is so poorly constructed because he is in French custody. And the thing about this is he has to escape. And that's every screenwriter showing how clever they are, right? Is how you're going to escape out of near death or any kind of situation, right? Mm-hmm. So as the two corpses are bickering and the cops are bickering outside, he's down there in the morgue. He gets into one of the fridges, the lockers, I guess, slides in, and the next scene, he's just magically outside. Yeah. And I was like, there's no exit at the back of the morgue. There's not? There's there's no, you don't press a shoot and you get flushed down into the sewer system. That's not how that works. <laughs> but yeah, he gets in there and just disappears and reemerges outside. I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you just can't do that. That's not how that works. I don't mind the movie playing with some leaps of logic here and there, but that is utterly nonsensical even for a movie this stupid mm-hmm. that that doesn't make a lick of sense well andy's dead friend tells him to find the werewolf that bit him and kill yeah. it and eat its heart yeah so i just earlier today as i was doing a little bit of research for this movie the scene from the other film where he's confronted by the wolves i mean, I mean he's confronted by the ghost that he's killed as a wolf and i like how unsettling that scene is and this scene is really played for laughs, and th- there isn't much of one, despite, you know, like I said, I think Julie Bowen is a very capable comedic actress. And she has a couple funnier parts later on, but none of them are really here, you know, other than her complaining about, like, you know, the body she was on a Stairmaster for a year for got shredded. But th- there really isn't much that's particularly funny. It's just exposition. Yeah. We need to know that in order for these guys to go away or rest, that the main wolf has to be killed. And so th- this is another difference from the original movie, which is... The thing that I really love about it, and we'll get into it more next week, but there's no hope. It's a nihilistic film. There's, there's no magic potion. There's no incantation. There's no spell. He's going to turn into a wolf and kill people. And this movie says, like, nah, we don't need that shit. Yeah. Let's get ourselves some sort of magical out so we can have ourselves a happy ending. And that is very different from the other movie. While Ghost Friend and Ghost Bimbo are fighting, Andy gets kidnapped. Mm-hmm. The guys who kidnap him want him to join them. But they want him to kill his buddy Chris first. Yeah, Claude and his boys, they, they're like, listen, you're a wolf. You might as well come and be one of us. You know, we're wolves. You're wolves. Let's do this together. And he's obviously not having any of that because he doesn't want to kill his friend. Yeah. And I, I guess these guys were just evil beforehand. Once again, we don't learn anything else about them. Even in this scene, we just know that they want another wolf in their camp and they just want to kill more people. We don't know why or what they're doing for money, if there's any benefit, if they have mastered being wolves and can remember things. We don't know. It's not important. Andy tries to escape Claude and his gang, but Seraphine comes to the rescue. Again, Seraphine is just like, whenever the plot needs her, she just kind of pops into a situation to save the day. They end up back in the sewers and through a very conspicuously tiny door. Yeah, yeah. She she just kind of bursts out and into that room, saves them, and they're able to get there and, and put up an in, impenetrable wall. So the guys cannot follow them. She tells him about her parents and how they started making out and more, more bad music plays as they escape Claude's gang. Yeah. He goes. Parent talk on him hot. Yeah. 
He goes off without her and finds dead bimbo and then steals a car and then jumps from a car rooftop to car rooftop to escape. Now, this is not a good chase scene, but the only thing I like in this scene is Julie Bowen trying to whistle to the guys like, hey, he's right here. Kill him. He's right here. You know, because that's she has to get out. Of it. Even though I don't think that's how the curse works. Yeah. I think I think all the wolves have to be dead. I'm not real certain. It's it's not important. But <laughs> that, that's about it. And then she tries to blow, uh, she tries to whistle at the guys and like blood shoots out her cheek. And then they go too far and her CGI pops out and they ruin it. But yeah. up until then, I was like, huh, cute. You know, a very nice Halloween kind of joke. He goes back to Seraphine's and she's trying to AED her dad. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, she, she gets back there and he's he's dying. This yeah. person that we, we barely know. Who is, cares? Is dead. Who cares? Yeah. And Andy assists, but it doesn't matter. He's dead. And then we find out Claude is having a party for the Americans. Just Americans. Yeah, he wants so Americans only. She, she does explain in this time that the story is like this. Claude took her blood because her father was working on some sort of serum to stop the transformations. And it said he found a serum to make her transform whenever. And that's what got her mother killed, right? Mm-hmm. And anyway, Claude finds us out and says, oh, well, let's all become wolves for reasons. And I guess they're robbing the Americans. Once again, it's never stated, so I'll just assume that. But I think there's probably other better ways to get money that don't involve like some kind of wolf curse. Yeah. But either way, that's the story of the film. They have taken all the vials and they have this party and they're going to turn into wolves and kill a whole bunch of a whole bunch of people. A whole bunch of Americans. More people than they could ever eat. Because they have to eat hearts. I guess that's new canon. They have to eat hearts. And eventually cuts the music at the party and announces that everyone is in danger. They get him off the stage. Yeah, they act like he's an asshole ruining the party because he is ruining the party, even though he is trying to save their lives. That's where you were talking about where you see these guys in robes with some injectable stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're Claude and his gang. They're wearing these robes, and that's what they all have needles and stuff like that. This isn't some sort of metaphor for drug use. It's not that good a movie or smart enough. It's just, it's just how they're injecting the serum. Chaos ensues and werewolves come out. Police are trying to get a handle on things, but nothing's working. Yeah, so the cop storyline meets a natural conclusion here. The cops have been following Andy at this time, and they barge their way into the party. And the doorman sort of makes some jokes about, you know, oh, you're going to love it in there. And he barricades them with a tractor inside. And basically the cops just get slaughtered. Yeah. And that's it. There's, there's no joke or end of the storyline. They just, they just get killed because they didn't believe, I guess. So they die along with everybody else. Andy is trying to save his friend. He takes a gun off a cop. Americans are fleeing. It's just fucking madness. It makes no goddamn sense. Yeah, it, it really does. It really does. And, and like his friend Chris, Chris, right? And that's the one who's still alive? Yeah. Yeah, like he just bounces in and out of this narrative when he's necessary. Yeah. Like he just disappears for long periods of time. He shows up here at the party crucified, even though there is a nice shot of him running outside of the church, uh, still attached to the cross, which is kind of nice. And it's, a, I guess, a joke where like one of the the officers does a sign of the cross as he comes running out. But yeah. it's not really a joke. It's just something that occurs. Well, Seraphine shows up and rescues Andy again. Again, yeah. She saves his ass one more time. They go through a bunch of underground tunnels again. Yeah. The cops go after them and they get by. They basically, this is where the cops die. They get got by this werewolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cops, they, they go down there and they think they can shoot their way through the wolves and they all get picked off. Um, it's, it's not, I mean, it's not even like a, a sort of a, an engaging sequence where they get picked off. Like they just get hit by CG wolves and that's about it. Sarah, we cut away from anything cool. Seraphine injects herself and runs off to attack the other werewolves. Yeah. It's hard to differentiate who is who. The yeah, so yeah. Well, well, basically, they only built one werewolf model. This movie's making me cuss a lot. Yeah, they, they built one werewolf model, and they just copy it over and over again. I mean, even if you would have done something cheesy as giving Seraphine a bow, like just 
anything to visually represent that she is not the other character. And I know which one is which. It's like all the Transformers being gray gunmetal in the first movie. It's it's a similar thing, and it, it doesn't really help. So these wolves just kind of interact. And this is where they cut in a lot of practical effects, like gloves. I mean, like, you know, gloved wolf hands and stuff like that, cutting across the chest. And that looks really nice, but it looks so good, it makes the, the CG look worse. Really bad. Yeah, and it, it just doesn't mix in at all, even though I do want to mention the practical effects work is quite solid, but it doesn't help. Sarah Finn at this point thinks that she infected Andy and yeah. wants... Wants him to kill her and eat his heart or eat her heart. Yeah. More police show up and shoot at him and he runs off leaving her. Which I'm just like, so as a human, is he just supposed to like, you know, get a knife and fork out and just cut that heart out and just slowly tear into it? Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> like, I was like, how's he supposed to eat that thing? Like, he just, he doesn't have a blender on him right now. He falls down a shaft and onto an old rail line. So his clumsiness is back again. Yeah, it, it saves him. Train hits the werewolf after Andy and attacks the people on the train. Yeah, so as cool as a werewolf attack on a subway car sounds, it doesn't really come that way because we see the CG wolf in in full light. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look good and it doesn't move very smoothly. And the people really just run away from it. I don't think, does he rack up any kills here? I don't believe he he does. does. Yeah. I didn't write anything down. He just just does battle with Andy. Yeah. And that's it. They whisk Seraphine away in an ambulance. Yeah. And then we're back with Claude, who is no longer a werewolf. For reasons. For unknown reasons. Yeah. The, the, the serum wore off, I guess. Andy attacks him and ends up injecting himself with the werewolf serum and attacking Claude, who gets who then eats. Yeah, he eats Claude's heart. Yeah. Like, he literally cuts him open and takes the heart, chews it, and then we fade to black. And then fade back in several full moons later. Yeah. And we are in the Statue of Liberty. They are getting married. They're getting married. They're getting married. And they drop... Or Chris comes in and he drops the fucking ring. And so they jump off the building to do it. And they forgot to tie off again. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it's a callback to the original. original to The opening scene, not the original film. The opening scene. And Chris tries to grab it, but he's unable to grab the rope. But it doesn't matter because they're embracing each other at the bottom. Yeah. They're holding each other. So it's A-OK. They're fine. So that that's the movie. I, I do want to mention before we move on to the end. Is that this is an alternate ending that they shot. The original ending is when Seraphine is in the ambulance, when Claude's heart is eaten, she just magically knows, like, the curse has been lifted, right? She even yeah. says that. Andy, you did great. And the guy's like, my name is Gene or whatever. <laughs> like, that, guy, that guy's an MVP. He's great. And th- that's not how that scene went down. What happened originally is she is going uh, to kill herself inside that ambulance, and the ghost of her father appears in normal-looking attire and with legs and says... The cure has been discovered. It's back at the lab. And she's like, oh, so I don't have to be a wolf anymore. Great. And that's it. (laughs) And then they do several full moons later, but they're not in the Statue of Liberty. Seraphine is giving birth and her and Andy have a baby and Chris is there too. They're all happy. And they have some cheesy dialogue and they put the baby in the bin, you know, in, in the whatever. And... When they push it on the baby, he opens his eyes and they're wolf eyes. And then the movie just ends. Now, the wolf eyes are poorly done, but they probably didn't finish the effect. And, well, they might have finished the effect, but it looked terrible. Mm -hmm. Either way, both endings are stupid and nonsensical because she's not really cured of her werewolfdom. So I don't know how they got married. That's probably going to be an issue. And so ends American Werewolf in Paris. And so ends this fucking movie. Sadly enough, 
The facts on this movie are just as boring. In an interview, Julie Delpy revealed that she gave such a good performance despite taking on the film purely for cash and disliking the experience so much that she avoided doing any other commercial Hollywood movies. I don't blame her. Yeah, no, that's what I read. She needed, basically took the, took the role to pay her rent. Just a paycheck movie. And I mean, she gives a nice performance in the movie. She gives it her all. But yeah, I mean, it, there's a reason this movie is sort of made fun of and ridiculed. In this film, Seraphine's late mother is shown to be a British nurse and that she ha- also has a stepfather. The implication being that the real father is David, protagonist of the American Werewolf in London. This would also suggest that Seraphine's lycanthropy was directly inherited from David as he would have been infected at the time she was conceived. However, this is likely the result of an earlier draft of the script as she is later implied to be free of the curse after the main werewolf is killed, which would only happen if she is, was recently bitten and not born as a werewolf. Yeah, and that's why in the other ending, the father, the stepfather comes back to say, I, I have a cure for you. Yeah. Even if that doesn't really make any, I mean, I guess it makes more sense than what happens in this version, but it's not great either way. Chris wears an onk around his neck. The symbol is an Egyptian hieroglyph for life or breath of life. And as the Egyptians believed that one's earthly journey was only part of an eternal life. The onk symbolizes both mental existence and the afterlife. Oh, okay. An inspiration for the werewolves design and movements were based on lions and how muscular they are compared to dogs who have skinny legs and don't have. I would would buy that. Yeah, there's a very... Big cat-esque feeling to the design. To elaborate on that, Tom Stern saw the new creature as integral part of the pitch he'd hoped, which would help him hold on to the directorial reins. I had my personal pet peeve with werewolf movies in general, which is that I always thought the werewolf was a clunky monster because the anatomy of a dog just doesn't lend itself to the scary humanoid monster, he said. For one thing, dogs have very skinny legs. Other than the mouth and teeth, they're not particularly terrifying in terms of their anatomy. And I thought, why do we have to do it that way? If you look at the world and the scary kind of predators that exist in the world in general, big cats are more impressive looking visually. So I thought I could sneak in the anatomy of a big cat in four limbs and body because lions have these giant muscular limbs with big claws which I thought would be even scarier and the beast Landis and Rick Baker had done. Stern's pitch took its lead from Phil Tippett's work on Jurassic Park, employing a blend of CGI and practical makeup effects. I thought we could use this new technology, especially helped by the dark and shadowy environment. I had pictured in it, which would hide a lot of limitations of the CGI, he said. I thought we could do a cool monster that could sprint at high speeds through these tunnels instead of staggering awkwardly as you glimpsed it briefly in the original film. I saw it as a combination of special effects makeup with a monster animatronic for the close-ups and then using CGI for running shots. Yeah, that's not really the way it turned out. They used them to, ended up using CGI for a lot of it. Yeah. And you know, we talked about how poor the CGI looked, so it really didn't help those practical effects. But it was nice to know his thought process behind it. And I will agree, there is a certain cat-like quality to the creatures. Mm-hmm. It does make them very strong and powerful looking. Well, this movie goes in the pantheon of movies that got the lowest Rotten score, Rotten Tomatoes score. 7%. 7%. So it's not a zero, but it's, no. it's a 7%. 5.1 out of 10 on IMDb. 31% on Metacritic. So a little bit better there. A little bit better. I found a 10-star review, and it's short and sweet. All right, let's hear it. So a few lines may have been hackneyed, 
A few situations cliched. A few lines kitsch. I say, so what? Isn't that what we look for in a horror movie? Something to remind us we're being entertained? I've never really been a fan of the genre myself, but I've seen my fair share of horror flicks, mostly in the role of unwittingly sidekick to gore-addicted friends. From what I've seen, it's pretty clear to me that in order to be a good horror, you can't be entirely original. Yeah, you gotta be a good horror. You can't hire the highest caliber of actors. You can't leave everyone's clothes on the entire time. I like an American werewolf in Paris. And if you don't, I don't care. Well, he defiantly likes it. And the reason he defiantly likes it is because it's not very good. But listen, if he had a lot of nostalgia for it and he enjoys the cheesiness of it, that it's amateurish nature at times, Mm -hmm. then good for him. Yeah. I'm glad he found something to enjoy. Somebody liked it. Hey, listen, every movie out there that you've ever seen, there is somebody out there that absolutely loves every frame of that thing. And that's the guy who is that for this movie. He absolutely loves this flick. And listen, no one will convince him that otherwise. It's not the, not the case. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Oh, that's right. In the year of our Lord, 1997, Roger Ebert was very much alive. And he reviewed. I have to scream. Of course I have to scream. In case I try to wake Roger Ebert up. <laughs> <laughs> also, I like to test out this limiter. So Roger Ebert was alive and he reviewed American Werewolf in Paris. He had fond things to say about American Werewolf in London. As you might guess, he was not enamored with this film. It's almost shocking that he actually went to review it, but he did. Can you guess his star rating out of four? One. (laughs) You are right. American Werewolf in Paris, one star. Roger Ebert says, Now that Scream and Scream 2 have given us horror film characters who know all the horror cliches, that time has come for a werewolf movie about characters who know they're in a werewolf movie. Not that such an insight would benefit the heroes of American Werewolf in Paris, who are singularly dim. Here are people we don't care about doing things they don't understand in a movie without any rules. A triple play, if you will. I was not one of the big fans of John Landis' original 1981 film, An American Werewolf in London. But glancing over my older view, I find such phrases as spectacular set pieces, genuinely funny moments, and sequences that are spellbinding. My review of the Paris werewolves will not require any of those phrases. The new movie involves three callow Americans on a daredevil tour of Europe, played by Tom Everett Scott of That Thing You Do, Vince Viloff, and Phil Buckham. They climb the Eiffel Tower by moonlight, only to find a young woman, Julie Delpy, about to leap to her death. They talk, she leaps, and Scott leaps after her, luckily while tethered to a bungee cord. Hint, always be sure the other end of a bungee line is tied to something else before trying this end for yourself. The girl survives. The lads track her to her home. She has blood in her hands. Her friends invite them to a rave club, and she's not there. Chris finds her locked in a cell in her basement. The ravers are werewolves. So is she. Yada, yada, yada. Please don't accuse me of revealing plot points in a movie with this title. Are you expecting that a girl who leaves from a tower is not a werewolf? Her friends are exchange students, and the club is frequented by friendly tourists? One of the pleasures of a film like this is the ritual explanation of the rules in which we determine how werewolves are made, how they are killed, and how they spread their wolfiness. Here, it doesn't much matter because the plot has a way of adding new twists, like Sarah makes the moonlight unnecessary for transformation. By the end of the film, any plot discipline necessary so that we care about some characters and not the others has been lost in an orgy of special effects and general mayhem. But let me single out one line of dialogue. 
after all three American students are trying to figure out what happened at the tower, one says, The kind of girl who jumps off the Eiffel Tower has issues, man. Starting with that line, a complete rewrite could be attempted, in which the characters are self-aware, know the werewolf rules, and know not how to make the same mistakes as the characters in An American Werewolf in London, not to mention The Howling, The Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf, Howling 3, Howling 4, The Original Nightmare, Howling 5, Rebirth, and Howling 6, The Freaks. I even have a great title for them, Howler. Roger Ebert was not so enamored with the film. He really disliked it, as did most. This movie didn't do well either. Uh, I want to mention this is a unique film where it cost 25 and made 25. It broke even. Yeah, you know, and here's another thing. The movie is set in France, but there's not a single Frenchman. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody speaks French. Besides Nobody. Judy Delpy, yeah. yeah. And even then. Yeah, I mean, uh, she, you know, she has a French accent. But that's about it, really. I mean, the cops have bad French accents. I mean, I'm sure they are French actors, but, you know. Sometimes, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, there's not, I don't, I'm trying to think maybe in the intro, there's a line of French, but yeah, it's, it, it being said in Paris is not really beneficial to no. the story or, or really to the setting. It of doesn't the, matter. Yeah, I mean, the setting of the movie is, is just inconsequential. So it doesn't, it doesn't play into it like London did. Yeah. So another disappointing aspect of a, of a pretty forgettable and lousy film. I'm, I am aware there are some people who really enjoy this as a bad movie. As that, you know, Plan 9 and Outer Space style. And if you enjoy that, that's fine. I, I don't really think the movie has enough inventiveness to really get there, even if it does have some very cringy sequences that I think can lead to a very campy kind of fun. To, to me, it's really not quite there. I think there are other options for that. But if you certainly do find the fun in the movie that way, then, then great. But for myself, I give the movie a two. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's pretty unremarkable. You know, it, it's got a few laughs here and there, but... Most of them are pretty unintentional. I give it a two as well. Yeah, it's not real strong, so it is what it is. And with that, we give two non-recommends of this movie. Nope. And we are already churning forward thinking about next week with An American Werewolf in London, a movie that we both really like. Ebert not as enamored with it, but liked a lot more than this movie. Yeah. And that's obviously going to be the case. Does this film still hold up? Are we going to love it as much next week? I don't know, but I pretty much think we are. Yeah, I've seen it. Like five years ago, it's, it holds. Yeah, but I think we saw it maybe three years ago for Halloween. Yeah. I think it was the last time we might have. Yeah, watched we watched it. it. I, I think it's still pretty solid. But now we're gonna take a critical eye to it and, and see if it really holds up as as well as we remember. Yeah. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>